Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today we're talking clauses, specifically option clauses. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Check out skywayacq.com to learn more. Let's get this started. We talked about what an option is in episode 351. Options remove hurdles because we don't have to renegotiate the things in the contract that we want to exercise. It streamlines the execution, again, to support the mission. <laughs> That's kind of the whole strategy behind these. And it saves a lot of time because they're unilateral. It's, you know, it's a simple contract action, no negotiation. Contracting officer can say, poof, go do this. And it's already agreed to get done. So it's no surprise that the FAR has clauses for using for the use of options. They provide a framework for the options, and more importantly, not all options are the same, and, and the clauses have fill-ins. So, so you need to know which clauses are in your contract. Before we talk about which clauses are which, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Josh Crevy. Josh is a contract specialist with the U.S. Army Material Command. He's in Rhineland, Germany. I want to thank Josh for reaching out uh, to our marketing director, Amber, to tell her about how long he's been listening to our podcast and even how he found our podcast. Knowing how you found us helps us with our efforts to reach more people. Knowing how you use our podcast episodes helps us to make podcast episodes that are actually helpful to you. Thanks, Josh, for doing both. Thanks, Josh. And now back to options. Like I said at the beginning, episode 351, we explain what options mean. In case you didn't listen to this one, FAR Part 2 breaks it down. An option is a unilateral right in a contract by which, for a specified time, the government may elect to purchase additional supplies or services called for by the contract, or may elect to extend the term of the contract. So, unilateral right to buy more. It's important to remember that options are not all the same. So, you have to read the clauses in your contract to understand what an option really means for you, whether you're the government folks or on the industry side. All right, let's get into the clauses. Well, let's clarify first that some of these are provisions, and, and provisions are when these show up in a solicitation, and they're clauses when they show up in your contract. And so some, if it's, if it's in your RFP, it's a provision. If it's in the contract, it's a clause. Yeah. Same language, just when it shows up. They look exactly the same, just a different name. Different name. All right, first, the provisions. There's three different ways that the government can look at options during the evaluation of proposals. The first, FAR 52217-3, is called Evaluation Exclusive of Options. And the clause says, we are not going to evaluate your options, the, the proposed price or terms or whatever of your options, when we're scoring proposals, when we're evaluating proposals. In other words, it's not going to impact whether or not you win. 52217-4 is evaluation of options exercised at the time of contract award. And that clause says the government is going to evaluate your options, but only the options that they've chosen to exercise at the time of award, right? So they, they release the solicitation and they say, propose all these options. And then when they award, select somebody to win and they award, They've already decided we're going to exercise these options right now when we award the contract. Well, those they've chosen to evaluate. Now, that's sort of like, 
or roulette or something. You don't know which options are going to be evaluated and which are not, but at least they're keeping you, they're letting you know, you know, stay on your toes here. We may evaluate some of these. I've used this for uh, sample task orders or uh, awarding a multiple award, or in this case, a single award uh, IDIQ contract, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. And we had several sample task orders. And this clause allowed us to execute those sample task orders at contract award. So it was a part of, we're not going to use all of these, but I like your, your Russian roulette metaphor. That's great. We're not going to use all of these, these sample task orders, but we reserved the right to execute some of them. And that's what we did. The third way it could happen is in FAR 52.217-5, and it's called evaluation of options. Period. Stop. <laughs> we are going to evaluate all of the options when we score proposals. So three ways to look at it, three different provisions. Not going to evaluate options. We'll evaluate options that we've chosen to exercise. Or, yes, we're going to evaluate all options. And that drives a different strategy for the industry folks when they're submitting their proposal. Remember, if the government says they're going to evaluate all your options, they have the unilateral right to exercise that option. And you have to deliver, and they will buy exactly what that option says. So if you have a contract that has a base year and then five one-year options, and we talked about that in the previous episode about why the government might do that, when you're proposing, you have to propose a price for each of those separate years. So your year four price, you have to determine what it will cost you to do that work, what's a competitive price for it, and how you can make money still delivering that. You don't get to change it later. So there's a lot of gamesmanship that can happen in those type of proposals. And the government has to be wary of that when they're evaluating it. One of the things I was looking for in contracts like this, where it was a, a, a base plus several years of options, is, is this concept of balanced pricing. Is Are you gaming it so that you're going to have an unrealistic price five years from now, but it lowers your overall price? And balanced pricing is a rabbit trail. <laughs> we'll do a separate episode about that in the future, but that, this is where it shows up. One of the places it shows up. Good point. All right. That, that, that was the provisions. Now the option clauses. This is in the resulting contract. 52.217-6 is option for increased quantity. This is where the government can buy a percentage of more, more product or a specific quantity of more products. It's not for services. The key factor here is that is it, the clause says that delivery of the added item shall continue at the same rate as the items under the contract. So in other words, you can't say, okay, we need 10 more, but even like tomorrow, even though you've been delivering them for you know, one a week, that kind of thing. So one of the, they're going to increase the percentage of the quantity, but it's it, the idea is we're just continuing what we're already doing. Yeah, unless unless for some reason you've negotiated something different as, as part of this option. But for the most part, this is just keep delivering more. We want to yeah. buy more of them. The next clause is FAR 52.217-7, option for increased quantity, separately priced line item. What they're saying in this clause, instead of just adding more of the same on the existing line item, we're going to put this in a separate bucket. So we're going to exercise this, and you're going to keep doing what you're doing, but we're going to segregate it under a different contract line item. So going back to that five-year contract I was describing before, base year, five, four one-year options for a total of five years, the government can administer that by saying, when we get to exercise year two, 
I'm just going to add that value, that price to the existing contract line item. And it's all going to be in one big bucket then. Or they can say, first clin is done. Now we're in year two. That's a separate clin. And there's reasons to do both of those. I generally liked as a contractor when they dumped it all into one big bucket. Because then if I had a time and materials contract where I had to deliver a certain amount of hours, or if it was a cost type contract, you didn't have to hit the hours or the dollars exactly at the end of the year. It all got into a big bucket where you had a little bit of flexibility. And that helped me out as the industry folks, and it helped the government out because it never stranded money in a clin, in a bucket by itself. So by the end of the contract, you have one big five-year bucket of sludge, of mess, of fun. Uh, that it, it lets you be a little more flexible than if every year says you have to deliver 500 hours. And if you deliver 495 or 505, that doesn't count, right? If after two years you have to deliver 1,000 hours, you have a little more chance to get it right. Your point about the sludge of money, once it's obligated, it's all green to the contractor. Right. That's why this, this makes sense from a, from a put it all on one clin. As a contracting officer, I like the idea of having these really orderly clins on the contract. Yeah. But the problem with that, like you said, is, it, is it the money's all been bifurcated, right? Uh, I did a five-year ordering period with options built into it, and the lawyers didn't like it when I was one of the agencies I worked for because they said, well, we have to separate it. Well, why? Because we've always separated it. I, legit conversation I had. So don't be surprised if you get pushed back on this of it needs to be clean. But the argument for making it one big bucket is once the money gets to the contractor, it's all green. It's actually more likely to be effectively executed. Listen to the podcast about stages of money <laughs> if it's all in one bucket. And this option clause is what allows you to execute that. That could like actually use in the stuff that's in the FAR, not just reading it. All right, two more clauses. FAR 52217-8 is option to extend services. This one is sometimes known as, as the bridge clause. It, it says government may require you to keep working, to continue performance of any services at the current rates, but the total extension of the period of performance can't exceed six months. And I'm going to joke a little bit, but not really. This one is often used when the government's acquisition plan hasn't gone quite as they expected from a timing perspective. They're a little bit behind a little bit behind getting the solicitation out, a little bit behind maybe evaluating proposals because they got more proposals than they expected. This allows them to continue the incumbent for six months without any any worries. It just, hey, keep working while we get this follow-on awarded. Sometimes it's it's driven by mission, but you're right. More often than not, it's driven by the, the, the new competition isn't done. So we're going to extend the contract. And the cynical side of this is that people will protest, supposedly, I've heard people will protest in order to execute this clause and give themselves six more months of work. But that's kind of a cynical viewpoint. But it does happen. It has happened. All right, last clause, 52217-9, option to extend the term of the contract. This clause is often paired with the clause we just talked about, the separately priced line item. This is a clause that gives the government the the right to extend the term of the contract, thus, thus the name of the clause. It also requires the government to give the contractor written notice of their intent to exercise it. It actually says a preliminary written notice of its intent to extend at least blank number of days before the contract expires. And it does a 60 days unless a different number of days is inserted here. This is one of those fill-ins. 
So the government has to tell you two months ahead of time, we intend to exercise this option, but it's just intend. It doesn't, it's not a binding commitment, but this, this gives you warning to be ready that, Hey, you're going to have to keep working. Don't, don't start shutting down. Don't let the employees all leave this. If it's a service contract, don't let them leave to go work on another contract, right? We're going to keep going here. This clause also includes a sentence that says, including the exercise of this option under this clause, the contract shall not be longer than blank. Usually, with all the options, the contract is not going to be longer than, than usually five years. That's part of this clause. Is say we have the right to extend it. Right now, it's a one-year contract. Each time we add a year, it'll get longer, and but it's not going to be longer than blank. So it, it gives you not only the ability to expand it, but it tells you where the, the edges of the contract ultimately are. All right, linking this to the acquisition time zones and execution time zones. During the acquisition time zones in the market research zone is where the government is deciding whether to use options. The RFP zone is when contractors are writing their proposals and use, using a strategy that is relevant to the evaluation of those options, as the provisions yeah, will tell you. <laughs> yeah, whether or not they're actually going to be evaluated. Right, right. Selection zone, government's evaluating like they said they would. They're, they're either evaluating the options or not, depending on what provisions yep. are in there. After award in the execution time zones, this is where options may be or may not be exercised. And during the that's the performance zone. During the recompete zone, as you get towards the end of contract performance, the government's deciding, am I going to exercise this option? Am I happy with performance? Do I have the money? And if you're not familiar with these time zones, we cover the acquisition time zones in episode number three and the execution time zones in episode number 84. Right, specifically on the government side. Options create built-in flexibility because they're unilateral. Uh, different clauses for different situations as we've talked through, but they effectively extend the period of performance, the period of the contract, the quantity. They increase the government's capacity to execute the contract unilaterally. Well, caveat here, they can be, options can be negotiated into a contract after award to, to simplify execution at the end of year, for example. However, caveat that, it's got to be within scope. You, you can't just suddenly decide you're going to add 50% more to the contract after the contract has been awarded and call it an option. It still has to be approved as being an in-scope change. Yeah, you can't add work that's not similar to the current work into this contract and say, oh, it's just an option. No. It's just an, it's just an option in air quotes. Yeah, you probably still have to do some paperwork to add options into a contract after award because you you're you're not conducting a full and open competition for this new work. So you may have to write a justification and approval to do it. Still, if you do that, it makes the execution of this work and the administration of this contract a little easier. On the industry side, it's very important to understand whether or not options are going to be evaluated during the source selection, during the decision on who wins the work. This can make a big difference in your bid strategy. It's also more risk if you lowball the option prices to win, you know they're going to evaluate them. So you bid really low for the future years. Like four years from now, I'll figure out how to execute. I won't, I won't care that. <laughs> Remember, when you agree to negotiate an option in your contract, you agree to deliver at the price and with the terms originally negotiated. Your cost can change. The world can change. Suddenly there can be a pandemic that changes how the world operates. You still have to deliver the pr at the price that you committed to. So... Don't forget that. There's risk there. 
we also talked about intent to exercise. You read that right out of that clause. It does not mean that the government is committing to this. When you get that letter that says we we intend to exercise this option 61 days before the, the end of, of the option period, don't assume that it's going to be exercised. Uh, we, we talk a lot about knowing what's going on in the context of your contract. If you count your chickens before they're hatched and you say, oh, well, they sent me the letter. Yeah. You got to know, is it going to be funded? Is the work actually going to get done, et cetera? Yeah, their money could get yanked at the last second, despite their intent to exercise it. It's not a commitment. Yeah, remember, this is built-in flexibility for the government. Right. Not so much for the contractor. Industry folks, ask for options to be included in your contracts. Your, your customer may not have considered options, and, and it makes their job easier because they don't have to compete things. It also gives you potential for more work without having to compete. Be sure to bring that up even after award. Hey, maybe we could do an option for an increased quantity here or to extend the term just in case. No, no commitment there. Yeah, just don't forget that even when they include options, they still don't have to exercise like we just said. All right, Kevin, let's exercise our option to wrap this episode up. On the government side, let the contractor know when you plan to use options and when you plan to execute them. Like we talked about, most clauses require that you tell the industry, you tell the contractor within X number of days. It doesn't mean that you wait until the day before those X number of days. If you know you're going to have funding for the requirement, if you know you're going to exercise it, if you know you're not going to exercise it, let them know. Yeah, that's even more important. And you don't have to have a clause for that to happen, right? Communicate with your contractors, let them know your plans. Everything goes more smoothly. And don't forget that you can only unilaterally execute the exact option. You can only exercise an option. It's, it's binary. You either turn it on or turn it off. You don't get to change it. You don't get to say, well, we have an option for four more of these, but I'm going to call it five. Exercise it. You have to deliver five. It doesn't work that way. That's bilateral. That's a renegotiation, and the contractor doesn't have to accept that. Now, why they wouldn't, I don't know. Maybe I guess if you went the other way, if you exercise an option for three instead of four, that that would be a, a problem. Could be a problem. But the important thing to remember is it's only an option for exactly what it says it's for. It's a negotiation. It's an engineering change proposal. It's a contract change modification. If it's anything but the option, it's more work. The reason your options there is you flip the switch and the contractor delivers. In any other situation, it doesn't operate that way. And, and critically important is if you don't exercise it by the time that the cause requires, it becomes a bilateral agreement. So if you, if from the government side, if you wait until 59 days and the clause says 60, technically the contractor can say, I, well, now it's bilateral. We have to negotiate because things have changed. You give up your, you basically give up your option by letting that clock run out. So, so contract management is so important. Pay attention to those clauses. Understand what they say to preserve your rights. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. We're, we're going to preserve the 30 minute limit. <laughs> I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us for this week's Contracting Officer Podcast. When you need help interpreting the option clauses in your solicitations and contracts, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is here to help with custom consulting and training. Visit skywayacq.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280 to learn more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.